Are you ready to learn? Because my super experienced guests are ready to share some really valuable information. Make sure and listen all the way to the end to get help and support. So let's start with the best audio experience. How to get more revenue in digital marketing? It's hard today because of level of competition. 10 years ago, I didn't consider a lot customer's journey, uh, buying persona, and many other parameters because competition was low. I set up Google ads, uh, Facebook ads, many other marketing campaigns uh, without considering important metrics. Today, I can because cost per click costs five times, five times, hundred times more. I paid like five cents. Today, I need to pay five, ten dollars, you know, for one click. ACO is overwhelming as well. Any digital market channel is overwhelming. That's why I'm so excited to discuss this topic with Aristomenes Kapoinis. Uh, I, I oh, knew nice. it. Uh, too hard, but Ari, much easier. Thanks, Anatoly. It's great to be here. Anyway, Ari, before we start, just tell more about yourself, experience, background, and why you pay attention to getting revenue in digital marketing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you really summed it up there. It's, it, this used to be a, for the early adopters in digital marketing, it was a complete playground, right? I mean, we were bidding on competitors' names and things like that and, and reaping the rewards from it for unsus unsuspecting people that just weren't up to speed at that point in time. Now, fast forward today, everybody knows, oh, I have to have paid media. I have to have paid search. I have to have a presence in particular platforms if I have budget to do so. And then as you get into the massive organizations, you're, you're bidding against each other if you're not paying attention to what you're doing. So where I'm at right now, I run the enterprise revenue marketing team at NVIDIA. I came in through Cumulus Networks. They acquired us to start a big push in AI in the data center. At Cumulus Networks, I was running our demand generation and inside sales program. It, it was really the best format if you want lockstep between inbound marketing lead flow and then inbound outbound actions on the sales side. Tough to do in most orgs because the SDRs want to be account managers and future sales leaders. So if they're pigeonholed in what they think is a marketing role, it gets difficult. But my whole background is essentially demand generation, growth marketing, and digital marketing. Uh, early financial cloud SaaS at intact pre-acquisition from uh, Sage, um, all the way through to NVIDIA now where we're trying to hit the wins in a massive organization. We touch B2B, B2C, developer, um, and a massive portfolio of offerings within there. Very complicated. Nice, nice. Love it, love it. Awesome. Okay, uh, you mentioned about AI. It's hard to avoid this topic today. Uh, that was simple yesterday, hard today, impossible tomorrow. AI is a must-have in regular uh I don't know, a regular uh, routine. So uh, let's talk more about that. I see when people don't use uh, AI um, um, in the right way. They usually uh, create generic answers, uh, submit them in their content. But, uh, you know, uh, it's not unique. Even if you get 100% with some tools, but the context uh, is 0%, <laughs> people can yeah. find totally the same content. Uh, and once I watch how Elon Musk uh, asked some questions on ChatGPT, and uh, he uh, was specific as maximum as possible. Uh, he submitted long uh, uh, question and got this great answer. Uh, can you tell how to use 
chat GPT or any other AI tools in the right way because your company is going to adapt. My company uh, is uh, uniting with uh, AI tools today. So I think, yeah, it's important to know how to use it in the right way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's funny. This week was our flagship GTC conference and, and Ilya, one of the co-founders from OpenAI, had a fireside chat with our CEO, Jensen. I, I highly recommend looking up that on-demand video. It's fantastic. It's really telling about where we're headed AI-wise. It's you know, as Jensen puts it, the, the iPhone moment of AI, essentially, you know, up until now, similar with the digital marketing topic in general that we're talking about, you had to be schooled in these tactics uh, to be a data driven marketer. You had to be somebody that understood numbers, got numbers, wanted to work through things like puzzles. Uh, ChatGPT and the AI solutions uh, open that up for all the non programmers, for anybody, essentially. The problem, and you hit it on the, on the nail on the head, if both you and I in two different organizations decide to write a blog post around a particular product offering and we're competitors and we ask ChatGPT the same thing, we're going to get the same answer. We're going to post the same two blog posts and there's no differentiation whatsoever. Another person summed it up to me like this where I said, hey, you know, there are people out there whose jobs, they went to school to get paid by the word and now you have these solutions where people are saying, why would I pay a content writer when I can go to chat GPT? And they say, well, you're essentially getting at the moment, basically a soulless answer. It's an answer based on what it can find that it's fed into, which is great. But if you want to talk thinking outside the box and innovation, it's going to take some kind of human element, at least right now in combination with that AI solution to really differ differentiate and come up with something novel. So we're at a pretty huge crossroads at the moment. You know, for a while there, especially in revenue technology, I don't like to call it marketing technology because then I get a deaf ear from sales. And we're really at a moment in an organization where the delineation between sales and marketing and who owns what budget really should be gone. So from a revenue technology perspective, AI has been a buzzword right now for minimum three years, three, four years but it's been kind of bastardized. They're just using it for marketing to sell a revenue technology product. Now we're at the point where we're leveraging true AI and learning models within there to drive things like AI solutions and chat on your website and the like. But policing it just can't be overlooked. And unfortunately, mm -hmm. in this realm, where most marketing technology, if you go back to that, isn't championed by the people that buy it, say 75% of the tech stack is actually shelfware, that AI solution is either doing nothing or doing you more harm than good in that case. So it's, it's tricky. Yeah, yeah. I think it's the same of using any tool. You can mm -hmm. use SEMrush, iHrefs to find high volume keywords and try to create uh, one more content when we have a million other pieces of content. So it's not a good idea to compete with Wikipedia, many other websites. And uh, yeah, I found that people uh, chase some value metrics like likes, comments, uh, traffic, but uh, it doesn't mean you can get sales. And once I spoke with Webmaster who lost uh, 400,000 traffic uh, when Google dropped uh, his website, but he didn't lose any sales. So he got right. this traffic, a lot of traffic, but this traffic didn't convert uh, and he couldn't monetize this traffic. Can you tell how to unite your digital marketing strategy with uh, revenue, uh, with your 
customer's journey, uh, buying persona. You know, it's funny. The two hours before this, I'm sitting, I'm a huge whiteboard fan. So mm -hmm. in my little uh, plot of land here in the office, I'm just sitting, Fridays are dead. There's nobody here. And I'm just sitting there whiteboarding away around this same topic. I mean, a video, uh, like I said, uh, traditionally siloed realms, you know, the, the, the birthplace foundation of this organization is primarily consumer B2C. And then you have the developer following and the exploding of GPUs into the B2B space. Um, so we have a huge, huge fan base amongst students, gamers, and the like. If you take those three realms and think of every workload and offering within the organization, you know, just go to nvidia.com and click on products. How are you identifying a truly in-market organization for B2B in that crazy mix of people hitting the site? So we leverage predictive technology to actually, you know, at minimum, do reverse IP matches against, you know, companies, people that are still on VPN, their public address has been matched to that IP to try and actually identify, okay, you might have some vanity board metric, you know, like in your case, you're saying 400,000 people hit the website. Mm -hmm. But then I have an industry person who's, who's sad because she says only 400 people hit my telco page for the month. I go, yeah, but the 400,000 are a mix of students and fanboys and everything. They didn't go to the telco page. The telco page is boring to those individuals. The people who went to the telco page found it and got there on purpose. And if we identify that, it turns out 20 of the accounts that hit the page are actually truly in market. And so if I can report for B2B based on the in-market organizations hitting the site and daisy chain that to the target accounts that actually matter to sales, that's the most important thing rather than the old school. I used to call it vanity metrics. Now I understand we do need board level metrics. So the 400,000 is important. But in actuality, people freak out when you go from 400,000 to, hey, we had 20 in-market accounts at the website. And they freak out. But then if I think, okay, if I'm able to close 10 to 20% of these people at an average starting contract value of X, I'm killing my numbers. And I'm much more targeted. It trickles over into A-B testing. If you have, say, a digital team, it's, it's amazing at what they do hyper-focused on conversion rate optimization, and they're running A-B tests. Let's take one page, left side, right side, and they got two pieces of content, and they get a statistically significant result that says, okay, I get a 130% higher conversion rate on this CTA on the left side versus the right side. They're going to go with the left side, but if they're not in lockstep with sales, they're not logging into Salesforce or what have you, any awareness whatsoever of what's driving pipeline and what the accounts are, they may be shutting out the fact that that right side that has much less conversion is actually the pipeline driver in the end. And so mm -hmm. it's a marrying point there. Where it gets complex is this massive ecosystem we have where there are aspects to our organization that require awareness essentially, you know, brand awareness across overlapping B2B dev and B2C. In that case, you're going to want the 130% better converting rate. So how do you marry those two journeys, essentially, in this, this organization? It, it's been um, a constant, constant work. It's my life's work at this point here. I, I tell my mm -hmm. team, if you go from here to a, a company with one product, you're going to feel like a wizard. Nice. Yeah, got it. Yeah, valuable. Uh, let's talk about how to do the right marketing because I see when people 
uh, do sales, not marketing. They call this marketing, but I see sales. I don't see any marketing on that. Uh, they don't share value. Uh, don't try to help and support others. Just try to sell products. Uh, don't think about customers, uh, about their journey. Uh, and when they complain, I don't know what's going on. I can't get organic reach. I can't get results. And I check out, I see overselling, nothing special, uh, non-unique, boring. Can you tell how to, to uh, create the right content marketing? strategy because I remember when Seth Godin said content marketing is one marketing left. So today you need to bring value, you need to help and support. And when people can get value many times in, in the right time, they can buy from you. So any insights yeah. how to create the right strategy? Yeah, absolutely. The, um, you know, backing up on that, leading with the data and fostering alignment between those two legacy, I don't even like saying at this point, but sales versus marketing sides of the house, you have to get that alignment around what that performance data is and look at the same data and be in lockstep on it. From that point in time, you branch out and say, okay, what are we using to actually convert, again, the in-market accounts, the valuable people, the target accounts that sales wants us to be in front of? More often than not, marketing from a content marketing perspective gets too hyper-focused on building too many assets. It ends up becoming this machine or every quarter we're going to generate X many eBooks and X many papers. We're going to chop up this webinar into these five other assets and keep building and building and building. And then you never have an apples to apples comparison period over period on what's actually working and what's not working as well. You end up with a dumpster bin of a resource center. You know, everybody loves to showcase their resource center and all the eBooks and all the webinars. You tell me, when's the last time you spent hours trying to consume assets in some company's resource center? You just yeah. don't do it. You know, developers will for our educational material. Like I need to learn better on an SDK or something I need to use. But in general, for B2B, it's, it's just not the case. And marketers don't seem to understand that. The fact is, if I have a highly, highly converting front page asset, there is no reason I should swap that out in the following quarter. Because the audience that's on my site right now, in market, bank qualified, ready to buy, is not the same audience that's there a quarter from now. So if I know this thing's converting a bunch of people, why would I swap it out? And why would I keep just swapping it out for theme after theme after theme instead of focusing on how do I continue converting these accounts that matter to our sales organization? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about how... Uh to create the feeling of owning something. You know, uh, once I watch uh, the presentation of new Apple Watch, when Tim Cook shared three stories, how can Apple Watch decide our problems? After that, I bought three pairs for me, for my son, for my wife, because they probably kill me if I do only <laughs> for myself. <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, uh, after watching this presentation, uh, I got the feeling I need to have it. I want to own it because yeah. uh, this Apple Watch can decide my problems, simplify my life. Uh, and I got this feeling. Uh, Apple Watch, uh, if I compare to many other smartwatches, uh, cost more. But after getting this feeling, I didn't think about that. I just bought three pairs. So uh, in B2B, uh, it's the same. I yeah. uh, get 
hundred emails a day. Uh, people who don't care about me, who don't know me, they send me guest posting, service, link building, uh, their tools. Uh, I have no time to check out. Uh, but sometimes when I get some messages, when people think about me, personalized message, uh, you know, uh, and share benefits uh, as fast as possible because I have no time to read uh, long emails. So, yeah, I think, oh, oh, my God, I need to check out this soft. It's interesting. I need to have this tool. Uh, let me try it. You know, something like this. Can you tell how to create this feeling? Yeah, something. The, the big thing is Apple Watch marketing. The watch is not a watch, right? It's it's mm -hmm. something for your life that you need. It's not a watch because you don't need a watch, right? And I've got time on my phone. Why would I need a watch? Um, so they hit that out of the park there. The the personalization in email is interesting. I, I, funny enough, this past week with March Madness, the whole basketball tournament starting up, I think some a number of organizations went to the same webinar. Because I had five different organizations send me canned outreach sequences that said, oh, I saw you went to UCLA. I'm going to wager uh, UCLA versus some random basketball team in the tournament. And whoever wins will buy the coffee for the, for the event. Five different organizations, same email. They must have all attended the same uh, personalization course or some such. But mm -hmm. it really sums up as robotic positioning. You know, if you do a logo test, we, we talked about this when I, I ran demand generation at Automation Anywhere in the robotic process, process, robotic process automation space, RPA. The logo test, where all these companies are saying the same thing when you just talk about the product. If you take the logo and the coloring and brand off the page, can you tell the difference? And for the most part, no, you can't. They're all saying the same rhetoric. They're all tracking the same keywords and trying to put the same keywords on the page. But in the end, why should I care about your product? You know, the, the cliche is for the C-level executives and whatnot, making money, saving money, mitigating risk. But in the end, how is that summarized in the personalization and the messaging to me and the content offered to me? It's robotic positioning. It's essentially saying, no, I'm not selling a watch. I'm selling you something that will allow you to save 50% of your day-to-day -day in tasks uh, like other people in the SEO podcast realm, like this company. And once you hit that, you hit the pain point and quantification of that pain point, it's compelling versus, you know, we even have a problem of it from time to time. Rah, 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 my product's great. You should like it. We like it and we know smart people out there will like it. So come like it and come buy it. That's not enough, especially as you said, when your inbox is getting peppered uh, with people, with uh, yeah. communication. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, in B2B uh, tools, I see, uh, you know, when people have habits, you know, for example, uh, I love using iCherefs, SEMrush, tools that I know, Google Analytics, Search Console, Google Train, uh, Trends, name them, many great tools. But when I get uh, a new tool and someone uh, is asking me, please check out this tool, uh, you know, um, I usually have habit to use something that works for me. So uh, it takes time to learn uh, other tools. Can you tell how at that point to uh, share benefits, uh, 
why your tool is standing out from the rest in short message because uh, if you write long one uh, most messages will be ignored because people have no time busy people have no time to read uh, long emails but yeah. Uh, yeah so any tips about that that's the that's the leader on the page content right i mean we have entire marketing groups that that build industry specific pages and, and flavored pages and, and do all this work for quarters after quarters. Whereas when you're bootstrapping in a startup, as I've done in the past, all you really have to do is identify that particular account as being from that industry and just change the verbiage at the top. I know that sounds really cheap, but you know, the rest of the page is exactly the same. The leader, the robotic positioning and the identification of that industry and a, a relevant organization in the same space is so compelling. It doesn't matter what the rest of the page is. The rest of the page can be the same, but like you said, nobody has time for the most part to read all that content. And two, it's got to be compelling. So, you know, from a predictive analytics standpoint on the expensive end of things, if you're identifying people as being in market, it's not enough to be in market. You know, when you talk about a, a fire model within a TAM, fit, intent, recency, and engagement, the important part of the engagement is actually clustering the keywords around the content people are actually consuming. So it's not enough that somebody researched NVIDIA, they researched um, uh, DGX, they researched a couple of things. I need to know the space they're in, the industry, the company size, employee size, and then relevant pain points they've been con consuming content around as well. If I put that cluster together, then I have a personalized, call it an attack, but personalization aspect to that leader that's relevant for that person. And the difference there is, uh, my favorite example is at Intact. We were there, it was a cloud financial company acquired by Sage, now a product within Sage. We had faith-based organizations in there. It, was, it wasn't until working at Intact that I realized what money mega churches are. But the fact is, when you talk accounting software, it's a pretty dry topic. But if you become the whale in a micro niche space, in a micro industry with relevant personalized messaging, you instantly differentiate yourself in a very targetable pool of people. So it's not cloud financial software at that point. It's cloud financial software for faith-based diocesan fiscal leaders. Very specific. So if they're looking at two other alternatives, no other alternative is talking to faith-based diocesan fiscal leaders. And it's mm -hmm. going to stick. I, I am looking at accounting software for my megachurch. These are the only people that talk that specifically to who I was, um, you know, right to me. And then from an omni-channel experience, recognizing that decision-making unit members are all going to vary. You know, you might like opening emails. I might like clicking banner ads. It all has to exist. And the messaging has to be cohesive across that whole thing. Nice, nice. Love it, love it. Okay, uh, I'm interested about uh, creativity. You know, uh, AI can't be creative because it's a great rewriting tool. Great tool because the grammar is the best, but uh, it's not creative. It's not new. It's not special. Uh, and um, uh, let me share a story about Lloyd Richards. He wrote a book. Uh, it's a famous story. He wrote a book uh, 11 years ago. Uh, published, but uh, he he couldn't sell this book. You know, uh, yeah, he got some sales, but not a lot. Uh, after 11 years uh, spending time, money, resources in marketing sales, he can't. Then 
his daughter uh, posted content on uh, on TikTok uh, with account with zero followers uh, about this book. Uh, video became viral. 50 million people watched this video. Uh, today, this book is the bestseller on Amazon. I watched this video. Uh, it's not the best nice-looking design. It's simple design, but it's creative. So creative, you know. Uh, I got, uh, you know, I, I, I like this video. Uh, it's interesting to watch. I, I don't care about design if I, I'm interested to watch. And I found uh, a lot of content online are boring. Uh, once I spoke with Jim Edwards, he worked in Business Insider uh, 10 years. He started on this company from scratch. Then company was sold for uh, $500 million. Uh, and he told me their success depends on creating non-boring content. Most content boring. You know, uh, yeah. if you take any business books, uh, yeah. many, uh, I can't tell any, uh, many business books are great for sleeping. You know, when you take, read them, you can <laughs> sleep well all night. You don't need medicine, pills, anything. <laughs> Just take a new boring book. But uh, some books are great. For example, if I read Joe Sugarman, he wrote a book uh, about marketing 40 years ago. It's interesting. I love it. I can feel I'm part of the journey. Um, Jack London wrote great books about adventure. You know, I can forget about meal, uh, about water, about sleep. I, I live on this book, you know. So can you tell about uh, creating non-boring content? Because most content are boring today. <laughs> yeah, the um, you said it. If you were to take a bunch of pages out of five different books, one of them is compelling. And you throw all the pages up in the air and they drop on the ground. Good luck yeah. figuring out which goes to which book because they're all going to sound the same. The difference there between that and, say, Jack London is actually appealing to human emotion and relevance, you know, relevant to where we are today, the pain points where we have today, you know, the war that's going on in the world. There are so many people completely out of touch that they blindly market to people about their products with no thought whatsoever on the human emotion involved and where the, the target audience really is right now and respectful or irrespectful of that. So the big things connecting at the human level, I think the people that do it wrong are the ones that go full bore into creative, but just to be creative without thinking about how, what's the connection here to the audience. Where things get difficult are in the larger organizations, say within NVIDIA, you know, you have much more legal bindings to what you can do. It gets to be hard to break out of that stale mold. Whereas in the startup space, uh, the, there's a lot more room for the free thinkers to actually, you know, do novel, unique thematic campaigns that that either give people a reprieve from the boring day to day that they kind of have. Like at Cumulus, we had dinosaurs in the data center and it was a it was a hit. But again, did it drive pipeline or was it did it just drive a bunch of people that wanted free dinosaur T-shirts? In the end, yeah. it, it's a matter of really staying professional, but connecting with that audience on their level on what matters to them. And for most people, they've got enough going on in their world that anything that allows them to speed up what they're doing at less cost is going to resonate. And then to add the validation around samples from other known logos in the same space they are and quantify the results there, it's a win. The, the fun thematic things you know, 50 million TikTok viewers, 
she's going to have to get on a different platform maybe in the U.S. I don't know, watching the politics going on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you know, those are fun. They're, they're great for awareness. In the end, you know, within a B2B organization, is it driving pipeline? Not as much that I've seen in the past. The ones that go full bore into like dinosaurs in the data center or, or cutesy names that we've had in the past organizations are great for awareness. But when it comes to the pipeline drivers, it all goes back to robotic positioning. And depending on the industry you're in, you know, again, going back to financial software, the CFOs, sorry to the audience out there, but they can be a little stale. You know, so if I have an organization with cutesy dinosaurs and all this stuff going on, and then I have something here with robotic positioning, talking about saving money, making money, getting your time back, cutting time to close on your are in your financials by 50 percent like these logos, that's going to resonate more. So it's a it's a tricky balance between satisfying the fans and and driving the pipeline. Mm -hmm. Yeah, nice, nice. Okay, uh, I'm interested about this metric uh, return on investment. Uh, um, I found that uh, many marketers calculate this metric wrong, so they just predict what kind of metrics they can get. Sometimes we don't need it. You know, uh, for me, it's hard to calculate the metric in organic reach because <laughs> many things are coming so uh, we don't know in paid marketing simpler but uh, i think it's hard as well so can you tell how to do it right how to calculate this metric and know for example if i invest x amount of money uh, and i'm willing to get 2x or more uh, so any insights about that yeah it's um it's tough right Mar legacy marketing is all about attribution wanting to chest thump and say look what i did especially as you get into paid and then paid can be very difficult to explain to the organization, especially when you're talking about say cost per opportunity. You know, I've, I've been in organizations where cost per opportunity could be $13,000, $20,000. Shocking, right? Not if the lifetime value of that customer is a million minimum, yeah. you know, then it's nothing. It's a drop in the, in the bucket. So we have, large media teams that are focused on say cost per lead impressions and the like those are those are important metrics to look at but they're almost leading indicators they shouldn't be considered as kpis uh if you're talking about driving uh, pipeline and revenue for again the complicated ecosystem that we're in my whole goal my whole focus this year is is the account and then roi at an ecosystem level um basically saying okay if i had a million dollars in marketing budget irrespective of where it went, this is what my throughput was from an account focus. Now, I say account focus because it's very important to understand that net new name to opportunity in a lot of organizations is going to be a fraction of the overall revenue when you take into account channel and partner and existing account relationships and how is the sales teams actually handling setting up those opportunities and did they tie the leads into the primary contact or not. But if you actually look at the accounts and say, okay, for this quarter, my close one revenue against these accounts was X. I can actually work backwards at, at minimum at campaign touches against those accounts. People are matched to those accounts and say, okay, I actually touched across all these varying aspects. I actually had them touch all these varying areas of the website. I actually had them surge and in marketness based on our predictive data. At that point, I can actually, from an ecosystem perspective, say what that million dollars in budget really affected. 
And then all things the same, I can work backwards and say, I can give an index value to each lever within all that, where that paid money was actually used. And based on that index value say, okay, if I put another $100,000 into the, the budget the next quarter, all things the same, I should, based on those index values, be able to predict that the output in, mark, in account coverage and deriving that revenue will be X beyond where we were at. That's my current big model. Now, there's a lot of tools in the mix um, that really muddy things up. Everybody has a multi-touch attribution tool. Uh, I find it's good for an audit from now and then, but not as a single source of truth. Everybody has a trying to strike it rich with a revenue platform. Again, another siloed metric point. But from a foundational aspect, to use your own data that you have in hand and, and bake it around the account from an ecosystem system perspective, um, you get instant validation with sales. You're working within their environment with their data, and it's believable. Uh, whereas a lot of multi-touch attribution, sales turns a blind eye to, and they're like, yeah, yeah, it's a marketer <laughs> wanting to show they're actually doing something. We get it, fine. Um, but from looking at a budget perspective, especially aligned with finance, million dollars in x impact on the accounts that matter within the organization there's no looking past that and so that's a big focus for me right now as far as roi goes we still do traditional reporting you know from a plumbing perspective all my waterfall analysis and like on a campaign by campaign basis but if you look at nvidia.com and all the products in the mix it's not hard to touch three different campaign managers programs in one visit to the website so who gets the attribution it shouldn't matter. In the end, what matters are the account touches and aligning those programs to the accounts that actually matter to sales. Mm -hmm. Yeah, love it, love it. Valuable. Uh, you remind me Bill Gates, you know, uh, uh, he uh, shared interesting point about how he divides marketing budget. Uh, uh, for example, if he has product A and product B, after investing X amount of money to product A and product B, if product B sells two times more, then the next time he will invest all money to product B, ignoring product A, <laughs> about priorities. Yeah. And uh, I found that many companies don't understand this point. And uh, for example, they share budget like, I don't know, like uh, 20K, please uh, do SEO, paid marketing, many other. But sometimes you can lead all this money to one channel, you know, uh, or even in SEO, we have many keywords. You can choose specific keywords that will provide results, then trying to cover everything, all channels. So can you tell how to uh, choose priorities, how to find uh, marketing channels that will provide much better results? Yeah. And, you know, he's absolutely right. And I think most organizations, unfortunately, their quick fix is to throw more money at the problem. So you go into the year with product A and product B and product A is lagging. So they think, oh, we need to triage this. So we're going to put more budget in product A because product B is self-sufficient, which isn't really the case. Sometimes you just have to own up the pat to the fact that you made a mistake. Product A isn't selling. People either aren't ready for it or it's not the right fit focus on what's actually selling right now. Take that old fruit off the shelf and push the one that the people want. From a channel perspective, um, the big thing is actually, you know, like everybody, we tag everything coming in so we can actually report on what platforms they came in from and then what became of those through the mix. 
it's important again to roll up to the account. If you look at it on a lead by lead basis, there's a good chance. I mean, a good example here would be our, the relationship between our developer and our B2B community. Um, you know, developer are going to have a lot of people kicking the tires around SDKs and things before buying into a solution, free SDKs, open source. There will be specific developer programs to support those people that have budget going to them. But if in silo, you look at that budget usage, regardless of what channel or platform you're using that's driving those programs, you're not seeing any revenue because the developers, we want to protect our developer community. And they're not the people that are going to be having the conversation with sales on the opportunity around some, some crazy implementation around a server or some such. So you won't, on the lead level, see that tie-in. So then people will come back and say, okay, we drove a bunch of stuff from Facebook and it didn't amount to anything. It was low CPL. We like the low CPL, so we'll use that for awareness. When in actuality, what you did was actually target the boots on the ground decision-making unit members within these accounts that actually matter to sales. So from the account focus, you can actually roll those touches up and then attribute that dollar value to it. Um, the things that are lagging more often than not, I find are a lack of omni-channel. So, you know, I've had a conversation with somebody recently where we're talking about hitting the in-market accounts within a TAM and then co blanket coverage in them. And their answer is, well, I'm going to start with Facebook first and then go from there. Like, no, 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 no. You need to start with everything. Well, my budget is only this. It doesn't matter. If you're getting hyper-targeted, it's much more cost-effective. You know, we, we have large campaigns here. But recently, you know, we had an ABM campaign ran against 15 target accounts, the heavy frequency cap. Again, not the best ROI, but being a display ad, but in the Coca-Cola model to keep things within arm's reach of desire, just to have that messaging front center of people's day to day for three weeks against 15 target accounts filtered on role and title function, very specific, is a hundred something dollars. That, that's nothing. You know, yet when you try and convey that to an organization that's used to massive marketing budgets, they feel that because you're not spending enough, there's not going to be enough ROI out of it. When in actuality, you're in front of the accounts that matter to sales from that omni-channel perspective. So more often than not, if something's not working, it involves going in the guts of the system and seeing where the, the mess up is and targeting. Or is it just a siloed application saying, I'm going to take all my money and throw it right on this channel right here and go from there. And then somebody else will pick these leads up. But the tie to me still is the account. The account will tell you everything, account-based reporting. Mm -hmm. Nice, nice, awesome. And my final question uh, for students uh, who are listening to this podcast, and I often get the question, uh, how to learn from scratch. Uh, even it helps uh, to my customers because I found, I get much better results with someone who understands SEO, digital marketing, because uh, we need to create like a cohesive team. Uh, SEOs, digital marketing specialists are not magicians. We can't provide results without uh, content, without uh, helping us. So, Ari, uh, let's imagine you started from scratch without any experience, knowledge, skills. What will you do today to learn more about digital marketing? Well, that's exactly what I did. My uh, undergrad was economics because I didn't know what I want to do with my life. And then, uh, you know, fell into marketing because I needed a job because I was doing military contracting and needed to uh, 
get some money. And then uh, the whole database aspect of marketing starting to creep up and I like data. And so a lot of it was just learning by doing. And it's like any course, you know, you go to school, let's say, and you come out with all these wild ideas and we're going to, I'm going to change the world. And then you go into an organization and find out why you can't do most of those things. Uh, the first, first thing to get to is, is I find conferences are very, very important for actually rubbing elbows with and, and, and sharing minds and, and learning things from people. Uh, a lot of the conferences you can find out there can be free to attend user groups and the like. And you get people that are, have heavy domain experience in those realms. Uh, the other is just sit in front of a whiteboard and keep at it. Um, you know, it's my favorite thing. The, the problem is for all the people out there that, f- that follow key gurus in, in the realm, you know, have you ever used Waze, right, for, for traffic, the application? So there's, a, there's no. an app. Okay, there's an app local here, Waze. Think of any traffic app. Mm-hmm. You're stuck in traffic on the freeway, right? And then all oh, the, wait, yeah, yeah. I use yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The the app yeah. calculates, oh, there's a shortcut. Use the next mm-hmm. exit. And yeah. you see 10 cars in front of you now all trying to get the exit at the same yeah. time. When you were the only one <laughs> using Waze, it was a win. It was beneficial. Now that everybody's on Waze, it kills uh-huh. it. And so when it comes to trying to, you know, outbeat your competitor and the like. Everybody attending the same session with the same guru going out and doing the same thing aren't differentiating in any, any way whatsoever. So I think starting from scratch, the big thing is um, key books, um, you know, Marketing Warfare, great book. I will always go back to crossing the chasm as dated as it is and thinking beyond that, you know, in, in combination with you know, like this SEO course, other user groups, and then getting in front of a whiteboard and saying, OK, if I daisy chain together these aspects of my organization What's my existing ecosystem and what's missing? Where are the gaps? The biggest gap is always going to be the data. So from a foundation perspective, if you can't say end to end what's going on in that account and lead funnel, you start there from scratch. And then you worry about the fancy tools and building stuff on top of that. But if you win it from a data perspective, you're going to be one of the only people in the organization that understands that data. And you're going to be one of the only people in the organization that has validation will be listened to because people will trust you in the end. So yeah, marry yeah, yourself nice. to the data. Yeah, I agree. I couldn't agree more with that. I think like, you know, I, I remember when someone asked me if I listen all your episodes on podcast, can I become a great marketer? I told, no, you can't. You can't because it's not like to learn everything that you can get. I, I can learn a teeny percent of new publications, uh, books, because uh, I'm so busy with practice, you know, for me, practice is more important than overlearning. So you yeah. can overlearn, but you can forget. People forget fast. I uh, usually, I don't know, you can learn something new and forget for a few days. I can forget yeah. for a few hours, you know, for a few minutes. Just tell me. That's why I usually make notes. I, I can share on social media. So, yeah, practice is more important than uh, learning. I agree. It's going to be I'm it's going to be different wherever you are, too. I, I tell people all the time, the beware the marketer that shows up fresh to an organization with a playbook and says, this is what we're going to do. And they don't dumpster dive the existing data and the existing everything before deciding on what actions the organization should be doing. That, that's a big red flag. Nice, nice. Uh, Ari, it's a big pleasure to get you on my show, to learn Same. from you. Tell our audience the best way how to keep learning from you, how to follow you, how to reach out to you. 
Look me up on LinkedIn. Uh, I don't know if it's in the profile or you can drop it in the chat, but the best thing is I, I connect on LinkedIn with everybody. Uh, I find the more people we talk to, the more we learn from uh, the conferences I speak at. I like connecting with the audience members who think they're learning from me. Meanwhile, I'm actually learning from them. LinkedIn's nice, the best nice. spot for me. Uh, guys, you can find the link uh, to LinkedIn profile in the description below. Listen us on Apple, Google, Spotify. Thanks again for your time. A big pleasure. Love it. So Thank you, valuable. <laughs> Thanks, Thank guys, for listening and watching us. Thanks for listening to this entire podcast. Please rank your experience in Apple, Spotify, Google, or any other platforms that you may use. Also, please share your ranking mark on chat at seotools.tv to get a special gift. We'll see you soon on other valuable audio podcasts.